Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. It's the sound you've waited months to hear. It's caused some of your greatest triumphs. Biggest heartbreaks. History made by Appalachian State. They win an unprecedented third straight national championship. It's the option at Georgia Tech. It's Howard's Rock. The smoke in Miami. And every Saturday, you tap that sign. And Appalachian State has done it again. The wait is over. College football is here. And here we go, folks. It is team week with Appalachian State. That intro never gets old. Welcome back to the Wesson Walker Show. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Hit that text line 704-570-9610. I got a feeling that our text line is about to be swarming with Appalachian State fans as we talk about the Mountaineers. So we start the week every week talking about recent history with the program. And this has been a very successful program. Now, not the greatest season for them last year, but still finished 500. But to give you a few stats to get us going, they've had a league best in the Sun Belt, 59 and 16 record since the 2014 transition, including being 26 and 11 in road games versus Sun Belt teams. Then at 86 and 30 in that same time frame, they have the six most wins in the FBS after Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, and Oklahoma. And they've got a 48-9 and home record in that span. So very successful for this program, especially uh, in the Sun Belt Conference. They've been doing their thing. 100% they have. And what a weird season it was last year. I mean, how nuts was their season in 2022 where they open up their season Losing to North Carolina with a 63 to 61 score. That was a great game. The game was on drugs. I mean, the <laughs> offense was explosive for both sides, and it's amazing that North Carolina was even able to pull out that victory. Next week, they have another upset of the ages, at least at the time. Texas A&M <laughs> going to Texas A&M, going to College Station. The Aggies are ranked sixth overall. And App State beats them 17 to 14. They win in week three, 32 to 28 on a Hail Mary. So you have three weeks in a row where there is something that is national storyline worthy. Offensive explosion week one, beating six-ranked Texas A&M on the road week two, and then beating Troy. Remember, game day was there in Boone for that game, and they delivered with the Hail Mary victory. And then they lose to James Madison 32 to 28. And losses would come a lot more frequently than anybody thought after that. You had a couple of wins. You had a one win against the Citadel. You lose to Texas State. You beat Georgia State, Robert Morris. All right, we're off and rolling again. And then you lose on the road, back-to-back weeks. Coastal Carolina, Marshall, you would eventually drop the last game of the season, the regular season, that is, to Georgia Southern, 51-48 in double overtime. Wes, 
one of the weirder seasons, and maybe App State fans can text us, 704-570-9610. Maybe App State fans can text us just to talk about what you thought of last year. Yeah. But I, I can't – I'm hard-pressed to find anything that was truly as outrageous as that one. Well, let me start this thing off. Let me set it off, okay? We know we talk about the teams I don't like on this program, and, uh, you know, I give you reasons why. And App State would fall into that category. Okay. Okay. Their fans, they love to come to Wake Forest games, wearing this stuff, and they like to call themselves the real black and gold. And I very much take umbrage to that. (laughs) And I'm going to try to be as objective as I can this week when I talk about the Mountaineers. And so when they get these upsets, man, do they act like that. It's just, you know, the Michigan upset, never take anything away from that. That was just college football history. But I say all that to say when they beat Texas A&M, which at the time we all thought was going to be a contending team in the SEC, but that win certainly got downgraded with the season that Texas A&M had. It just wasn't – it just didn't hit the same after Texas A&M kept losing week after week after week. And as you said, yes, it was an up-and-down season. The North Carolina game was tremendous. It was a lot of fun. I looked forward to watching that game because I knew the environment was going to be crazy. And it delivered. And so uh, you're talking about a program, though, also, you know, just talking recent success. And this is another impressive fact for you. They have a streak of 37 straight seasons with a league record of 500 or better. And among current FBS programs, it's the longest streak by 14 years. Clemson, Oklahoma, and Boise State have 23 in a row. And App also, they they just do well no matter because we know when you win at a school like App, you're going to get opportunities for jobs. So with three different head coaches, three different offensive coordinators, and three different defensive coordinators over four seasons, they have a 43-10 and record from 2018 to 2021. So this is a very resilient program. They recruit well. They find the right type of kids for their program. And they just win football games. And so last season... It was very up and down. They finished losing three of their last four. This is a team that, according to Athlon Sports, has them picked to finish fourth in the East. So we're going to see what they're going to be able to bring because the Sun Belt, by many accounts, is going to be a very tough road uh, to be successful in in 2023. Well, and they finished fourth in the East just last season. And, Wes, as you talk about those App State football fans – They're not going to take too kindly to that, right? Here they are finishing fourth within their division. They actually have a three and five conference record that is tied with their rival in Georgia Southern and also tied with Georgia State. I mean, you're one loss away from being second to last in the division, only being alongside Old Dominion as the two worst in the East. If you look at what they accomplished last year compared to what they've accomplished in years past, they were 500 right on that mark, six and six overall, three and five in conference play. In 2021, they were 10 and 4. In 2020, they were 9 and 3. 13 and 1, 11 and 2. Wes, you have to go all the way back to 2017, the last time that they had um, a, a record where you had less than double digit wins. I guess 2020 was 9 and 3 as well, but we all know the 2020 season was a little messed up due to COVID, obviously. So then you go back to 7 and 5 record in 2014 to get to anything as bad as what you had last year. Sean Clark takes over, successful his first two seasons. But still not to the same level as what you had with Satterfield after taking over for the legendary Jerry Moore. Yes. 
Six and six ain't going to cut it over there, Wes. No. I, I, I always hate asking these types of questions because I think Sean Clark <laughs> is a good coach. I just wonder how much pressure is on him because they don't have any patience. And I understand. You got three straight championships. You don't have any waiting period whatsoever to be successful as soon as you enter Division One again. You go to the Sun Belt, you're immediately 7-5. and five. And then you go 10-3, and three, and then your worst record is what last year was at 6-6. Six and six. So immediately when you start flirting with not being able to go to a bowl game, and now you're finished or you're predicted to finish fourth in your conference again, I just I wonder how much uh, App State fans are ready to get rid of Sean Clark if you see another year like that. I, I, I don't want it to happen, but I have to imagine those questions are there. Yeah, that's a place you're talking about since 2015, five seasons with double-digit wins walking. As you said, they've gotten accustomed to winning and winning big and being the boogie man of sorts for uh, the bigger FBS Power 5 programs. It's the team that you don't want to see come into your building because they've beaten some big teams. And yes, like I said, the Texas A&M win got downgraded as the season went on, but still at the time, it was the second week of the season. People thought that uh, Texas A&M was going to be something and they went in there and beat them. So I think that this is a program that they went in there and they turned the oven on and went back and sat down. It's preheating right now. They've mm-hmm. got it on 350 and they're waiting. They're hanging out. And so for Sean Clark, I think that at least eight wins is probably a minimum. I think if he finishes below that, they're going to be looking at him with the side eye. The seat will be starting to get a little bit warm. But I think if he puts up another six and six campaign or worse, then I think things could get very interesting for App State and the fans as far as what they're going to want. They're going to have a quarterback battle going into the fall when you talk about Ryan Berger or Joey Aguilar. And that's not a good place that you want to be coming into a 6-6 and season trying to figure out who your quarterback is going to be. Well, and and as we talk about the coach, I'm I'm not trying to fire Sean Clark before the season even starts. I just know that there's not a lot of patience as I keep making that point. But you go back to 2019 when they brought in Eli Drinkwitz. The guy only had one loss. And while Drinkwitz is honestly just a little bit weird on, you know, with his personality, not somebody we can remember uh, leaving the university thought of very fondly by that fan base after what was it like taking an ad out in the paper saying thank you to App State or whatever. It was very weird that ending, but he did clearly have a successful season before Sean Clark would take over. And the big thing about that hire was that App State fans wanted to stay in the family because they went outside it when they brought in Drequence. And he was very good. You had a 13-1 and record, but then Sean Clark comes in, 9-3, and 10-4. It's all good stuff. But even still, it felt like you didn't quite reach the heights that you wanted because your height is as the top as you possibly can get, really, with App State. Finishing as a ranked team at the end of the season, that's a goal that they strive for. Mm -hmm. Finishing to win the conference every single year, they're so successful. If you don't win the conference, I think App State fans view that as somewhat of a failure or certainly a disappointment. So if you go 500 and then you go, I don't even know, what, 7-5? and You talk about at least needing those eight wins. It's still going to feel underwhelming, and then you're going to be in this weird area where Doug Gillen is going to try to figure out, is that really enough to move? move on 
if you have eight wins, it's a pretty good season. But objectively, for App State, understanding what those fan what those fans ask for, that's going to be a weird territory to try to navigate going towards the future. You're not going to fire Clark with eight wins, I don't think. But man, the fact that it's even a question, I feel like that's a realistic possibility where that's a weird area to be in. And the thing too is, you want to flip that conference record around. You're talking since they've been in the Sun Belt, not having a losing record. I read you off some of the uh, great stats and facts there. So you want to flip that three and five around round to at least five and three too because you don't want to have a losing record in conference yet again you really don't so this season is going to be interesting too if we just want to take just not along the lines of what we usually do to lead off team week but just a sneak peek you look at what they're going to do in 2023 you open up with Gardner Webb and then right off the bat once again on the road against North Carolina and you have back-to-back games are going to draw a lot of eyeballs with North Carolina in Chapel Hill this time yes sir and you have ECU right after that ECU not going to be ECU of whole nailers right of of you know last season they're still trying to refresh as we talked a lot about last week but yeah two big old games to start off the season within the carolinas which is a great thing because college football it is a local feel sport so i'm very happy to see some of those games that we're going to be talking about leading up to the college football season but huge start for app state especially with some of those local teams and the thing is you'd love to see those local battles man i always will find time to watch those games, App State versus North Carolina, App State versus East Carolina. Anytime you get those interstate battles, there's always going to be some interest there. And kudos for those teams for playing each other. But yeah, the schedule for sure. I mean, Coastal Carolina's a team that's going to be right up there. Southern Miss, Marshall. So App State for sure is going to have their work cut out for them. And I think those first Two out of those first three. Gardner Webb is is no slouch in in, in where they reside. Yeah, it's true. But you talk about North Carolina, East Carolina. Those are going to be big measuring sticks for App State early to see what they've got. Uh, because North Carolina, of course, they got Drake May. I would expect Carolina to roll in that game. But still, Carolina's replacing a lot, too. And then East Carolina is a program. I feel like them and App State at this point, both kind of searching to find some new guys to replace some great players for their program. And so I think that's going to be the real game to really let you know uh, what's going on with App State. So we'll see uh, how those things turn out. But that is our first segment of Team Week with App State. We're going to... Get into the offense, the defense. We're going to give you the nitty-gritty and have you prepared for App State's upcoming 2023 season as Team Week continues. And when we come back, we're going to turn the page to the Charlotte Hornets, the latest on P.J. Washington. What is going on there? This is the Weston Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
It's Wes and Walker on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We had a question at the beginning of the show because there were so many different concerts in the Queen City this weekend. Luke Holmes, he performed twice. You had Killer Mike, Blink-182, Erica Badu, Most Deaf. There were a ton of different musical acts this weekend. So what was the worst concert experience that you ever had? Because Erica Badu did not show up on the stage until 10 o'clock, and the concert started at 7.30. So I had to wait a very long time after the opener, after Most Deaf, which was good. I was happy to see Most Deaf. But then she did not sing a single note until 10 o'clock, and that was... A little bit of a damper, but once she showed up, she was amazing. We had some worst concert experience texts roll in, 704-570-9610. 704 number wrote in, worst concert, Heart. That's your band, Fiddy. 1986. The band wasn't getting as much audience participation as they wanted. Mm. They all waved goodbye and left the stage, and they were the headliner. Man, they should have had some magic out there with them, man. You know what I'm saying? Mm, you, I knew you were going to try to stretch. I didn't know if you were going to try to fit Barracuda in there. That was that was rough. But when you see the audience not participating, Wes, that's got to be an awkward moment, too. Yeah, I would feel all sorts be, of weird. Especially a band with hits and things of that nature, and you try to get the crowd involved, and they're not doing it. That's <laughs> yeah. got to stink. Well, that was what was happening, too, because I, I didn't know this. Someone informed me that this tour Erica Badu is on right now. She'll have the band come out, play a few songs first, and then she shows up. Okay. I didn't know that. Still, when you wait that long and they're trying to get fan engagement rolling, it's like, no, we want to we want to see Erica. Like, I'm not going to, hey, no, I'm not giving you that. Yeah, I want to see why? Erica. Please. This is what I paid money for. And we didn't get that. No Sleep Ned said there was a bad order at a concert one time. Fantasia and Anthony Hamilton concert. Fantasia came out first, killed it with high energy. Anthony followed, and literally everyone went to sleep, LOL. Yeah, that's a Queen City icon, too, Wes. Yeah. Anthony Hamilton putting people to sleep afterwards. What? <laughs> it's a, it's a bad order, though. It's a that tough is. order. Yeah. Um, 704 wrote, went to an Alice Cooper concert at age 12, watched him bite the head off of a bat. Amazing. What? I'm pretty sure Ozzy Osbourne was the one that did that. I don't know if Alice Cooper did I it, I think too. Alice Cooper did some wild stuff, too, he though, did. man. He did. Well, and he was he looked wild. I for sure know that. Are you looking it up right now? I'm just going to see some <laughs> of his concert antics. Good. I don't want my history with that. That's Can one. someone just answer the question as to why? I well, think it was just a thing maybe multiple people did, I guess, if it wasn't just Ozzy. I don't know. Here's another one while you're looking that up, Wes. 2010, father-daughter date. Had a night out with my 10-year-old, $300 a ticket for a Hannah Montana. Oh! A Hannah Montana concert. They got to the 12th row. He said they were screaming teens and preteens for three hours straight. Created a great memory for me and my daughter, but had a headache <laughs> for a week. Saw Jason Aldean a few years ago at PNC, so and he was blank-faced. Jason Aldean apparently was not coming correct in that concert. Did you notice anything a few years ago at PNC? I went, it was actually funny. It was six years ago, Thursday. So that was my first ever concert, July 13, 2017. My second ever was July 14, 2023. I can't recall that. I could remember again, didn't have the money I have now. So like, I couldn't really afford to go out and like eat and stuff like that. The prices at PNC, <laughs> like, Oh, like a, a, a Bojangles bow box was like 20 bucks. Mm -hmm. Beer was like 24. I remember yelling from the end the concert.
so I could go eat fast food because it was like 1130 night and he was still singing. So, but I don't remember if he was drunk or not. Yeah, maybe you were drunk at that point. No, because I, I, I literally could not afford to drink. Oh, so it was that long ago. Maybe I missed that part. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so that, that's that got to be frustrating. Kitman Eric said, my first concert was the Wiggles as a kid. Fruit the salad. W- yummy, yummy, yummy. That's the only know. song I know. I don't know about that. <laughs> Did you find anything on biting bats' heads off, Wes? Oh, I found some horrible stuff. Oh. This chicken throw is off the chain. I'm not even going to recite what that was. Okay. But was it Ozzy or was it multiple no, people? No, this was Alice Cooper. Okay. I'm looking at his 10 most shocking moments. <laughs> Number one was the guillotine. So I'm okay. I'm okay <laughs> on all that. Yeah, no, thank you. I'm looking at some other concert text, uh, scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. Uh, Hunter wrote in, worst concert for me was Justin Moore at Coyote Joe's. Is this a country music artist? Yes. City? Okay. Justin Moore at Coyote Joe's had nothing to do with them. He you was great. You Coyote Joe's? I was standing on a torn ACL. Mm, that's just kind of like you. That's got to be tough. You're asking if I knew Coyote Joe's? Like, like you never heard of, of the bar Coyote Joe's? Like you're, you're, yes. Oh, no, okay. I, I didn't know who Justin Moore was. Yeah, well, I mean, I think they only have... I may be wrong. I think they only have like country music artists out there because I think it's their version of the doghouse for us. Like it's a, it's owned by, I think it's owned by one or three. Seven. Yeah. It's on Wilkinson Boulevard. It's been there for a while. Yeah. I know. I know what Coyote Joe's is. I've never been, but I know what it is. I just didn't know Justin Moore. Yeah, I've never yeah. been either. All right. So we can look. <laughs> we should go. Yeah. No, that, that, you know, that the cereal bar, we nope. got a lot of things we got to do as a show. We do. Now that would be interesting for all three of us to go that to a Coyote be. Joe's concert. Or Coyote Joe, if there was a concert there, just going there for any reason whatsoever. That would be quite interesting. You can text us your worst concert experience, 704-570-9610. So we actually had an article drop on Yahoo. I think it was during the show. Yes, um, on Friday, I should say. But we just never got around to it. Jake Fisher had a lot to discuss surrounding the P.J. Washington situation. Arguably the most valuable free agent left still, just because we're so deep into the free agent process. Most of these guys have been signed already, except for one P.J. Washington. And so this is what Jake Fisher writes. The starting point for a new regime, the first offseason for a theoretical next general manager of the Hornets, would be quite challenging with both Bridges and Washington taking qualifying offers. After distant negotiations prior to Summer League, the early word among league personnel suggested Washington and Charlotte were far apart on a four-year structure typical for such an extension. Washington has not drawn an offer from the Hornets that reaches Isaiah Stewart's salary figure. He just agreed to a contract extension worth $16 million per season. Okay, we talked about P.J., Possibly making close to $20 million a year, right? Yes. But now we're having this report from Jake Fisher stating that PJ hasn't even gotten an offer from Charlotte where he would be making $16 million a year. I know both of you didn't love $20 million a year for PJ Washington, right? I understand that. I didn't think it was going to get to twenty, but I thought he'd get close. I really did. I have... I just don't understand the feeling coming into the offseason and the plan that you had in place was to bring back your free agents, just to retain them. Bringing back Miles Bridges. I didn't expect it to be on the qualifying offer, but I did expect him to be back. And I expected you to bring back P.J. Washington. You wanted to bring those guys back, and that means you couldn't really go out there and get outside help. So if that's the case, take care of the plan that you have set forth. But you don't. Dennis Smith Jr., he goes to the Nets. 
Reportedly, the Hornets were going to give him more than the vet minimum. They were going to offer him more than two and a half million. Dennis Smith Jr. found more of an opportunity with the Nets. The Nets made him a priority. He decided to leave. I am a little comforted in the sense that the Charlotte Hornets gave DSJ an offer. But Wes, what are you going to do now? I mean, now we're in rumors about trading for DeLon Wright or some backup point guard help. Okay, great. I like having another grown-up in the locker room. If you don't want to pay P.J. Washington $20 million a year, fine, I understand that. But $16 million a year, where that contract is going to hold at 16 per while the salary cap goes up. So 16 he's worth that now. I feel very good about saying he's worth that now. But the salary cap is going to go up. So that contract is not going to get any worse as you move on into his deal. This seems like unnecessary hardball by the Charlotte Hornets. Just give him money because of the way that you've asked him to perform in a bunch of different roles. This kind of money, if it was $20 million, okay. But $16 million, I think he's worth that, and I think the Charlotte Hornets should get this thing done. Yeah, I mean, to me, it just depends on the years. What are you looking at? Because, I, as you said, I'm not a firm believer in giving P.J. Washington a long-term deal because I just feel like he's still young and up-and-coming player with a lot to prove. And, yes, he does provide uh, some great things for the Hornets, but he's also, like you said, we've talked about the inconsistencies and things of that nature. But I think that the Hornets, uh, I've said all offseason, they need to figure out how they want this team to look, who's going to be your guys. Let's get the pecking order in order. And so I don't know that P.J. Washington necessarily fits into their plans in that regard. I think maybe they want to do uh, the, the the qualifying contracts, see how the team looks healthy this season, see how far you can go, and then make decisions from there. But I just think they are a little bit uh, nervous to give him a long-term extension just because they have so many guys. So if, if you want to put him on the qualifying offer and not have any – so that means you're losing Gordon Hayward. That means you're losing Miles Bridges. That means you have an opportunity to lose P.J. Washington as well. All of a sudden, you don't have so many guys in the front court. And this is all, this is, it's short sighted, in my opinion, to not take care of PJ. It's real short sighted. If you want to take a look at what's coming up this season, then sure, it might be hard to, to divvy up the minutes, especially with Brandon Miller on the roster. But you're not bringing back Gordon Hayward. He's not coming back. Okay, so that's one guy that's gone after the season. By the way, he's hurt a lot anyway, so opportunity is going to be there. Miles Bridges might not be back. He might feel somewhat slighted. We've talked about a potential lack of awareness there. The dude was asking for 25 mil per. No. Okay, so now he's back on the qualifying offer. With PJ, 16 is fine. Like, we had our debates when we got close to 20. But paying PJ Washington 16 million annually, especially with the way that he helps Mark Williams, who you are investing in, LaMelo Ball, who you are investing in, and even Brandon Miller. Brandon Miller has a struggle driving to the rack. What would help? Having somebody that can take defensive assignments instead of putting Brandon Miller out there because he's rail thin. And also, P.J. can space you out to give Brandon Miller more room to operate when he's trying to go to the cup. He helps your three guys that you have invested in. And yet, you want to play hardball over $16 with the salary cap rising? Doesn't make much business sense to me. Do you think that maybe because... Miles Bridges, he can have his feelings hurt all he wants, but if he comes back and plays the way they feel like that he can, and if they max him out, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, the rules should still be in their favor as far as if they want to max him out, they can give him the most money. They have bird rights. Yeah, so uh, I think money will talk at the end of the day. And so do you think maybe they're wondering, like, okay, well, 
if Miles plays the way we want him to, we're going to give him this type of deal. And they don't want to sink so much money into that front court, especially even though Mark Williams is young. But then you would come up to a point where you say, all right, you know, you have to start choosing who's going to get paid and who's not. And so with P.J. Washington and Miles Bridges not wanting to pay them both exorbitant salaries. I mean, I I guess you're asking about P.J.'s, it, whether the, the front court if you, is if you pay them I'm, both, if you pay, if you give them both qualifying offers this year, they're both free agents next year. Yeah. Do they want to sink major chips into P.J. and Miles together like do you think that's playing into the decision because they're going to go with miles if miles does what they expect him to do they're going to end up giving him a big deal and then just letting pj just walk i mean i i guess that could be playing into this but remember you're trying to you've already been trying to trade terry rogier is making over 20 million annually yeah gordon hayward is going to free up 30 million dollars annually is Miles Bridges going to get to the point where he can resurrect enough value to the point where he's making $30 million? I don't think he'll get that much money. You know, we'll see what happens this season. But also, he's going to miss 10 games right off the bat. I don't know if he's just going to be immediately thrown into the lineup like that. He'll be a part of the rotation. But with Brandon Miller here, too, I mean, I, I guess I just, yeah, to me, it might be making, that might be the, the reason they're deciding not to pay P.J. Washington. But... I, look, I guess I just value defense a lot more. Like I do. This is this is a team that turned it around the last couple of months. But you can't ask Lamelo to play defense 100% of the time when one, he's not very good at it right now, and also offensively, he's everything. He means so much to that team offensively. So don't give him that kind of responsibility. Mark Williams can be your defensive anchor, yes, but who else are you putting out there on the perimeter? Miles Bridges is going to get beat back door just like he was before he had a year layoff. I mean, do we just not care about that? It's this is the thing. It's not 20 million is a legitimate debate. 20 million. If you think that's way too much. Okay. I understand it. I would have flirted with it, but cool. But the fact that they're not even going to give him Isaiah Stewart money because some of these teams will take care of their own guys in some kind of good faith, but also PJ, man, that was the one guy that was available and did so many different things you asked him to do. And now you're trying to play hardball unnecessarily. It seems to me that it's just bad business. Now, if he's not taking $16 million and he's so hell-bent on getting 20 okay. Maybe we don't know that. I don't know. But with this report, that's what's frustrating to me. Yeah, that could be a play as well because maybe he does understand. Obviously, he understands because he's the player. He feels probably how you feel about himself. All the things you asked me to do, all the things I can do for this franchise, I should be getting uh, X amount of dollars. And so I think that could be a play here as well. So uh, as far as how this thing is going to play out, I still think we'll see P.J. Washington perhaps in a Charlotte Hornets uniform next season. But uh, this has been an interesting turn in the offseason that I certainly didn't see coming. Yeah, we have uh, summer league sessions to talk about. Got a little no, talking a little bit more about P.J. Washington here because it's just it's weird, right? This thing could play out even further, especially if they are so far apart on contract negotiations. But we did have summer league session. It was uh, it's completely done now. No more summer league games for the Charlotte Hornets, which is probably a blessing. We could talk about what we saw from Brandon Miller and we could talk a little bit more about the Carolina Panthers on the other side of the break. It's Wes and Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. 
So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Immersed in the Wesson Walker Show. Welcome back. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. I got a little case uh, of the Walkers contagious. right there. Oh, no. Oh, gosh. I, <laughs> I don't hope it doesn't happen. I hope nobody else is getting sick. It's not that I'm sick. It's just my... I just... I don't even know, man. It's just weird. I it just... My my voice is giving out. I've been talking way too much. I've been too much of a... Of a one of these hot gas bags, man. That's just what I've been this entire time. <laughs> All right, hit us up on the text line, 704-570-9610. Hit those socials, West Bryant underscore 72 on Twitter, Instagram, threads, all that good stuff, at Walker Mail, at HTB underscore Josh on all platforms, and also hit up the WFNZ Twitter and Instagram. Now, Madden Week is upon us, not the release, but the ratings have been released. Uh, They're doing different positions every day. And so for today, they put out the ratings for their safeties and for wide receivers. So I figured Walker and I would play a little guessing game to where I'm sitting here looking at the ratings and I'm going to ask Walker what he thinks different Carolina players got for this year's Madden game. And you on a text line can weigh in and think, was the rating too high? Was it too low? What did you think? And so we're going to start with the wide receivers. And so Madden, of course, their number one wide receiver, when you go look at it, just to give people some context, the top five was Tyreek Hill with a 98, Justin Jefferson, Stephon Diggs, Devontae Adams, and Amari Cooper. And Jefferson was the only 99. No, he has a 97. Tyreek Hill has a 98. There are no 99 wide receivers this year, surprisingly. I thought Justin Jefferson was 99. I was All wrong right. on that. So let's start with Adam Thielen of your Carolina Panthers. Walker, guess the rating. What do you think that he got? I think he's going to get the highest rating from these guys that are going to be involved in the mix. I do think that name is going to carry some name, some value here as well. Okay. Give me 81. I think Adam Thielen is going to be an 81. All right, you were close. Adam Thielen had an 83. His best trait is his acceleration at 91, and he Mm -hmm. had a 90 catch. So he should be a decent uh, Madden receiver. Okay, that sounds promising to play with if you're the Carolina Panthers. (laughs) All right, so uh, next up, DJ Chark Jr. Guess the rating. Um, I'm going to guess DJ Chark. I don't think he's going to get 80. 78. DJ Chark, 78. You are very close, Walker. You would be a good creative player guy. You are very close. I still get the buzzer, though. (laughs) He was a 77 with his best trait being his speed, man. He's pretty fast. He's got a 94 speed, 93 acceleration. The catch, though, 83. So 
that kind of downgrades him a little bit. And uh, yeah. All right. So next up, we're going to go with the Rook, Jonathan Mingo. What do you think that the Madden folks gave Mr. Mingo? Yeah, I don't think that he's going to get anything too crazy high. Probably low 70s. Mingo coming in. <sighs> Give me a 72 for Jonathan Mingo. Look at that. Right on the nose. Right? Oh, yeah. 72. Uh, he has a 90 speed, a 92 acceleration. Uh, that catch is sitting there at an 81. So that's a, that's a decent catch uh, for him. So so decent grades for him. Just the awareness. The awareness is what gets a lot of these guys. He's got a 71 uh, awareness. All right. Does that just what does awareness mean when you're awareness? A receiver? I guess it means just route running. Just and then you can have them run read routes on the field. So I would imagine. Okay. If you have a guy that doesn't have high awareness, he might read the. Feels wrong like more of an coverage. IQ. Awareness almost feels like your yeah. pocket presence a little <laughs> bit more. So as long as he's not throwing, I don't yeah. mind the awareness grade being so. Yeah. Low. All right. Then your guy Walker, TMJ Terrace yep. Marshall Jr. getting all the buzz. What? Is his Madden grade Walker Mail seventy five? Ooh, you. Uh, I know that's your boy, and you you gave him a little bit. You were close. He got <clears throat> seventy three. Okay, still not too far off. Ninety one speed for him. Eighty nine acceleration. His catch was an eighty four, and the awareness was a seventy six. So that uh, is what probably brought his grade down. But that that's a decent grade. I mean, you don't have a headliner in that group, so to speak. But uh, that, that, those are decent grades for the Panthers receivers, especially the 83 for Adam Thielen. I thought that he was going to, for sure, uh, be maybe kind of right down closer to 80 or maybe a little bit under. All right. Now, let's go to the DBs, and we're going to talk about the top guys at that position, and we're going to guess their rating, starting with Von Bell, free agent pickup from Cincinnati. Walker Mail, what is his rating? Von Bell seems like a guy coming from a Cincinnati Bengals roster, so maybe making a little bit of noise there. I think 85 seems a little high. I oh, mean, this one's tough. Uh, 83, Adam Thielen, great. Look at that. He that got right? it right on the nose at 83. Uh, he got an 87 speed. A lot speed, better at this than I thought. 88 acceleration. Now, his awareness is really good, man. He's got a 90 awareness. Got to have good pocket presence if you're a safety. Yeah, man. 75 catches. Just to tell you guys the top five at that position, Derwin James is number one at 95. Mika Fitzpatrick has a 93. Justin Simmons, Kevin Byard. And they keep making it go in and out. And Jesse Bates, Wake Forest, is your top five. And Honey Badger, who you guys will be seeing a lot of, the Carolina Panthers, he is number six overall. Okay, Jeremy Chin. This guy looks to uh, have a season where he's a menace this year. They're going to be moving him all over the field, looking like a young Palomalu, according to the Panthers fans out there. What did Mr. Chin get? Guess the rating. I'm guessing that the Hornets fan base does want him to move around like Palomalu. I don't think Madden would give him a grade that suggests he can do that. I'm going to give Jeremy Chin right on the nose, 80. Not in the 70 club, but give me that 80. You are very close, but no cigar. 81 for Jeremy okay. Chin. 93 speed though for him. 92 acceleration and his awareness is an 81. So uh, pretty solid grade though for, for Jeremy Chin. And then lastly, Xavier Woods, Walker Mail. Mm -hmm. Yes, the rating. 
78 for Xavier Woods. Man, Walker is on point yeah. again. 78 for Xavier Woods. 89 speed. He's got a 79 uh, did, I say, did I say Hornets fans, by the way? Moose you called did. me out. I meant to say Panthers yeah, fans. Did. I apologize. I Still thinking yeah, about man. PJ. So uh, they asked on the text line, what did DJ Moore get? Uh, let's see. I'm going to find that one for you. <laughs> but it's hard because you try to put the DJ in. Well, let, let me look it I'll up. Find you're, you're driving this segment, man. That's a lot. Let me look up DJ Moore's rating and you take us to the next spot. Yeah. So either way, like I said, the Madden ratings are going to come out. So each day we're going to play a little bit of guess the rating so what did you guys think did you think that the panthers players got adequate grades did you think they were too low too high hit us up 704-570-9610 they put a lot of changes into this madden man and i know they say it every single year to try to get you back in because this game gets ripped online by a lot of people and i like to watch the tournaments i do watch the tournaments all the time i don't miss them i watch them on tv i watch them online uh, all the time, and I get so jealous of these kids, how much money they make playing Madden. Now. I mean, there are kids making six figures a year playing Madden football, man. So did you uh, did you come across it yet? 86. The ranking is 86 for DJ Moore, so three spots yeah, higher so than Adam Thielen. Plus three uh, over Adam Thielen, so that's interesting. I thought DJ Moore, I mean, I guess the numbers last year and what he did probably brought him down just a little bit. But I would have thought that he would be higher up, closer to a ninety. I would have thought that too. I would yeah. have thought maybe like an eighty-eight. I would have guessed eighty-eight, maybe I don't, maybe eighty-nine, something like that. But yeah, I don't think it's bad. And most people are saying that the grades they feel were accurate. I mean, I was right on the money with them, so I clearly think they <laughs> did a great job with some of these ratings. Well, I tell you what, Miles Sanders, if they had a BS grade on there, he would have gotten a ninety-nine. We're gonna talk about what <laughs> he said, the latest hyperbole from Mister Miles Sanders. When we come back on the Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.